This is Sports Point. Sports Point, the latest in sport from Highland Prepshire and beyond. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, I'm Nathaniel Goddard, and you're listening to Sports Point. Joining me this week, what he doesn't know about sport isn't really worth knowing. It's sports reporter Fraser Lindsay. How are you, Fraser? Well, thank you. Wonderful. And he's here to bring his patented blend of good quality nonsense and the odd Dragon's Den idea. It's Heartland Breakfast host, Graham. How are you, How are you Graham? Yes, I'm fine. Thank you. And my lawyers are listening and watching. Very, very good. And also joining us this week is our special guest, ETAP Caledonia event director, Gary Willis. Welcome to the show, Gary. Hi, guys. Nice to meet you. Nice to have you with us. So we're going to start locally um, because we spoke about their, they had their preseason tournament finished at the end of last week and they kicked off over the week last weekend with their first game which was Aberfeldy Rugby Club and Graham another rather convincing win there for them well 48-0 doesn't get any any better than that so a very good result of course uh, fresh on the back of the new development officer Gregor Ross uh, being appointed and we'll see what happens with the away game of course which is always more difficult uh, to Dundee uh, playing Harris Academy the second but yes a very good start and obviously somewhat convincing scoreline so well done yeah and Fraser we spoke last week um, about Lachlan Jones in the preseason match for them with his, with his five tries he got himself on the score sheet again only one this time but that's got to be promising prospects for them particularly coming off the 48 win when you've got debutant scoring um, and Cal Gilbert adding a brace for him there as well well he only scored one try this week that's hugely disappointing for him now that's what it's all about a team game at the end of the day good to see the the tries being shared about and the defence being so strong to to keep the how out, you know, to rack up nearly 50 points without conceding really good going. So, yeah, well, it's going to be a big test this weekend, but one they can surely do. Yeah, this weekend they will travel to face the Tay Hawks, who currently sit atop of the league. They've played a game more because Aberfeldy had their first game cancelled. Um, Gary, I mean, we're, we're two games in for some of these teams. I mean, it's very early to make, you know, those predictions. It's first against third, but you kind of, the way that, the games have been going for them. That must be one of those bits you sort of look at the table and go, I could be there, couldn't I? But so, yeah, um, Graham, what have you thought about the way Tay Hawks have played over the last couple of the games? Obviously, they've had the two wins, but do you think that will worry Aberfeldy? Well, as you say, it's very early in the season, so it remains to be seen. And uh, there's a big difference between playing at home, you know, even with limited uh, spectators, but Aberfeldy have had the benefit of having, you know, quite good crowds uh, to their games. Away to Dundee, where there could be a bit suspect, that would be a good test for them. Uh, Harris Academy are no pushovers, so um, we'll, we'll wait and see. But all, all you know, it's too early in the season. You know, everyone's looking at top of the league, but they've only we've only played a, uh, a few games uh, to start with. So uh, we can all be envious, and other, I'm sure other teams are of how well that uh, Aberfeldy have started. But uh, you know, let's have a review. You know, six or seven games in, and then I think it'll settle down. Uh, all teams would have played at least two games away from home and that'll be the big settler I think. Yeah absolutely and Fraser I think the advantage for them was they they didn't get off to the start they would have liked it was a little bit of a sort of hit and miss first half and they they ended up they managed to add the two tries before the break but I think second half you can see the the scoreline they came out there absolutely flying after that break. Yeah I think the tries just before half time were 
just came in the right time for them, gave them that, that, that confidence boost to take into the second half, maybe took the stuffing out of the house somewhat, how maybe thought they were still well in the game, and then two quick tries before half time might have changed the whole game plan and the way that how had to approach it and made, made the fact they had to go a bit more adventurous, created opportunities for Aberfeldy, which they capitalised on and, and fair play to them. Yeah, well, very promising signs there for Aberfeldy, and we'll keep an eye on them as they continue to move through the season and in their match at the coming over at the weekend. But also coming up this weekend uh, is the ETAP Caledonia, which will take place, and we'll leave Pitlockrit half past six in the morning. Very, very early start. Um, we are joined by the event director, Gary. Gary, can you just sort of tell us a little bit about the event and the history of it? Um, yeah, no, it's been going for quite a few years now. So, um, yeah, I think we're just just really pleased to be back i think after missing the 2020 um event i think you know it's been it's been a big challenge getting back to you know back to it so you know we've got one of the biggest numbers we've ever managed to get for it so we got 6800 that have um signed up and and put on there but we're expecting maybe a bit lower than that just with you know people um not being able to make it etc cetera, etc cetera. but we you know we're, we're kind of looking for quite a, a a bump per year which is just goes to show i think there's people you know have have been you know in whatever position they've been in and are just desperate to get out there and get riding and doing events and and you know coming up here so um yeah really really kind of looking forward to getting going so um yeah starting um, just a little bit after half six, actually, we've, we've put it back a bit to seven o'clock, just with the the daylight and the, the weather and where it's kind of going. So, uh, yeah, we start at seven, and then when we're we're finishing um, round about two o'clock on the, in the afternoon, um, and yeah, kind of going round the route a different way this time. So um, we've we've been kind of through a bit of a consultation process with with some people in um, mainly the farming community, and and they've got the the harvest going on just now. So we kind of done quite a bit of change and and moving things around to to try and make sure the event happened this year and so we're going going clockwise now which sounds like if you're just reversing the route you just reverse the route but there's been a lot of work that's come out of that and a a lot of challenges and I actually had a drive around this morning so it's amazing just changing the route um, and going in the opposite direction completely changes all the challenges and the hills and the descents and and, and how you kind of approach it so um, it'll be interesting to see just how fast they get around the course this time and, and you know, what kind of times people will take. But um, I think it'll be a, a nice kind of ref- refresh after, um, I think it's, I think this is the 15th year, 14th or 13th, 15th year, you know, it'll be a good refresh for people and, you know, same roads, but look at that from a different angle. Yeah, with you said about the road closures there, and obviously we've got harvest and the farming community. So when you made that decision to run the route in reverse, what considerations did you make and communication did you have with the farmers about, you know, obviously you've got to close roads for the mass amount of cyclists, but to try and make sure that it limited the impact on them as small as possible. Well, a bit like this, it was just loads of Zoom calls. Um, you know, that's that's how we went through it. Was we had quite a few different calls with local councillors and uh, and then NFU representatives and a few different um, you know kind of local farmers and the real kind of stakeholders and let them come on to it. Which you know we would usually have done in person, but just with everything that's gone on, you know, had to had to kind of be by Zoom. Um, and you know, we we just managed to get to. An angle that worked really you know we kind of said that we'd be trying get off certain roads at certain times and and the only way we could do that was by reversing the route so we kind of took that that kind of on on, on board and and kind of put the changes in place to try and do that and you know it's it's a one it's a one-off it's the 
it's the it's the pandemic version, and we'll hopefully be back to normal route in, in May 2022, and and you know another 14, 15 years that we'll be able to keep doing that in, in that order. But yeah, it'll be yeah, in, in, interesting to to see. I'm looking forward to to kind of seeing the riders out there. It's just been so long, you know. It's been a long time for everyone to to get out riding their bikes in these big events, and it's great to see you know, great to see everybody coming up and starting to get excited about it. There was a question there, Nathaniel, that I wanted to ask Gary if we could. Gary, as I understand it, there's there's two actual races. You've got an 85 mile race and a 40 mile race. Is that correct? Yeah, yes. I mean, um, just because it's kind of pedantic person I am, but we're not actually technically a race, so it's a, a, the you know the kind of a, it's it's about a challenge of doing it as, as fast okay. as the time you can. But we don't really give winners and losers and that sort of stuff that maybe you would associate with a race. So it's about it's about the the you know you challenging yourself on the course and being the best. But you're right, and actually the the forty mile route, which you know is is maybe more for people coming back into the sport after a long time or, or, or new to the sport, um, we've actually had the most we've ever had um, at that 40 mile, you know, take up. So it's really interesting to see that there's a lot of people out there that are maybe putting, you know, first footsteps into getting on a bike and an event or a kind of mass event. And yeah, that's, that's really, that's really quite exciting to see. And what's also interesting, and you may have seen this yourselves, so is just the amount of um, electric bikes that we've got people are coming on. And it's people okay. that are coming back from heart surgery or heart attacks or, you know, other kind of illnesses and things. And it, these, these electric bikes have just let people get back out on their bikes, you know, and not put their bodies under strain. So it's really, really interesting to see that, that it's a whole even in the 18 months that we've had since 2019, that number of electric bikes has really kind of increased. And, you know, there's there's a lot of people that are thinking, well, I can do this with, with just that little bit of assistance and, and getting back out there. So, yeah, really, really interesting to, to see that. How so, does... Which, sorry, Nathaniel. So which one has Ben Chihalian? Um, they both do. Oh. And then when they're at the top, the 40s go down towards Tumble Bridge and then the, the 85s turn left and go down the Brazer Foss. Right. It's not a hill I would like to cycle up. I had a walk up it uh, a few months ago, and that was bad enough. To yeah. cycle. If you can cycle up Bench Allian, then that, that is some doing. Yeah, yeah, no, um, yeah, it's uh, it's always amazing seeing people get up there and, you know, you kind of, you know, see the, the very first people that, that come across and I think the, the fastest time is just over three and a half hours for the 85 miles, which is, is you know, pretty, pretty impressive and how fast they go. And then it's just how quickly you see them dancing on the pedals as they go up the hill and you, you know, you do kind of have a bit of a... Yeah, that's not really me right now. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's quite interesting to see. <laughs> quite interesting to see. I just want to come back because you mentioned about the electric bikes. How does that change the complex of doing the routes? Obviously, the assist there is that assistance there. What sort of assistance does an electric bike give you over a normal bike? Well, they're they're restricted to the speed limit, so it's not really it's not like giving you a it's not like a racing it's not like motorbiking or whatever or anything like that. It's, it it gives it's assistance that gives you up to a certain speed limit, which is um, twenty five kilometers an hour. So you're not you're not going to go around in half an hour, you know, and be finished and that you know go home and still have your breakfast. So, but it, it's about the assistance of taking away the effort on the big hills. So that's it, it is more that, and I think that word assistance probably kind of. Is, is the most important thing with the electric bikes. You know, it's, it's not about heading around at 70 kilometers an hour or whatever. It's 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 helping people that can't get up hills, get up hills or, or do a challenge that they possibly would not be able to do. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that does sound like obviously the, the point of is just to give you that little bit of a boost, but what preparation or training do, you know, 
those who don't use assistant bikes you know what the, you know, those really sort of hardcore i'm gonna do this i'm gonna try to go for the fastest time possible what sort of training preparation would you expect them to be doing running up to this event uh, a, a massive amount of preparation i think it, it's it, because it is that challenge everyone kind of takes it on and, and people you know do take it and to do take these events incredibly serious because it's they are it's a personal challenge, you know, it's them against the road and them against the clock. So they're doing, you know, 10, 12 hours a week of, of training and endurance and interval sessions on their, on their trainers and, and all kinds of things and how they look after their diet and really, you know, kind of really take it on. It's, it's really quite kind of focused what they do. And then, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's their life, I think, for the first, for the first few people coming in, it, it really is, you know, a big part of their life and a big part of who they are and how they express themselves so it'll be it'll be interesting interesting to see Graham you're not up for a 40 mile now 40 mile bike ride no definitely not I just I live quite local to it so it's very easy for me to be able to go and see although I was meant to be away on Sunday but we'll have to wait and see uh but are you expecting lots of spectators uh, again um I think our kind of profile as an event is it's more family and friends you know that come out to see it um so we you know, we've got 6800 participants and then we usually work off about 50 percent of them are, are are coming with a and other so that is a lot of people but you know those people either find somewhere in the course to watch you know watch their friends or family or or be based out of Pitlochry or um or, or somewhere else so that that's that's kind of how we're looking for it so yes yeah, it's, it's a big old number coming into the the, the area over over the the, the weekend um yeah so we'll see how it goes marshals did acquire for an event of this size sorry can you just ask the question again sorry yeah sure um how many marshals are required for an event of this size um so we've got there's 96 um of our marshals that are out on the course and they're all they're all based around and then once you start to add in all our our, our stewards and first aid and staff and all that sort of stuff then we're, we're looking at about 500 people that are involved with organizing the event and are out there doing doing a, a different roles and involved in different ways. So, a bit like you said at the header there, it's kind of super early starts for everyone. They're up and out, and we kind of try and run the army off of bacon rolls from from one of the, the local um, caterers. So yeah, there's, there's the smell of bacon usually gets the staff out of their beds and and, and out onto the course early doors. Sounds good to me. <laughs> With so many people coming into the area, how are you planning to sort of make sure that there isn't a massive spike, particularly with the coronavirus pandemic going on? Yeah, yeah. Well, for all our staff, they have to provide the negative test um, two days before they turn up on site. And what they do is they turn it up and we've got a, a system where they, they check in online and then they have to provide evidence of their they are they are tests so it's a bit like if, if you if you've flown lately you know what you have to do with the the kind of vaccine passports um, it's the same kind of thing and then essentially people check in for that and the same goes for the riders themselves is that everyone has to to, to provide that and it goes in part of their entry and then we do spot checks on people um we you know as the kind of the the morning goes on and then we, we're doing over and above as well with things like the you know the hand sanitizers in, in the area and everyone's got to wear their mask while they're in the holding pens to get going before they go so we've we've you know tried to go above and beyond because yeah you're right we don't want to be an event that brings those kind of spikes to the area and you know a lot of a lot of the things we're doing we're we're, we're really kind of taking the the latest guidance that's there yeah, it sounds like that's a lot of planning gone into that. Um, so obviously there's a lot of people coming into Highland Perth and particularly into Pitlockery. What are you hoping that 
the having those people there and the event is going to bring to the local area? Um, well, I think it's 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 an appreciation. First of all, I think it's an appreciation of just how stunning and beautiful it is. That it is a destination that you know people can come and ride your bike. I, I was driving around the route this morning and stopped off and had a chat with this couple that were just getting ready from their bikes and they were staying out, you know, staying in one of the hotels and you know, we're, we're, we're doing the event, but they were out for a ride today and they've just made like a super long weekend of it. And there's a lot of that going on, you know, that's there's people coming up, they, you know, stay for a few days, have a ride about, explore the area and then do the event. And then it's maybe back off home on the Sunday night, you know, if they've, they've got work on Monday and try and make a long weekend of it. So there's, there's quite a big portion of, of our participants do that. Um, and then it's it's kind of you know spending the area and just putting it on the radar from a bike a bike riding point of view is is, is quite kind of high up our agenda because we want you know people to come back and keep coming back. Um, I, I don't off, off the top of my head or have it on me what the kind of numbers are for returns, but we you know we, we do quite well in the scoring of people coming back and trying it again. Maybe do it, give a couple of years and come back again, and that's that's a sign of success once you get people coming back to the events and. They love the area, they like the event, you know, it's a challenge to them and all those sorts of things that they, they come back to it. So, yeah, that's 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 kind of it. Okay. In terms, in, in terms of, of uh, other events, uh, Gary, how does it compare? I mean, is, is, if you're a competitor, you know, of all the races, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming there's quite a few race events of this nature available throughout Scotland and also throughout the UK. Where does this one rate in terms of other races? Well, I think that this the the Etap Caledonia was the first ever um, closed road sport to even the UK, so it's always going to have that kind of special place as being one of those originals. It was right. it was the first one to ever have the, the the road closures, which if you've ever ridden in a, a closed road sport team, it completely changes the, the dynamic. Just not having the cars there and how quiet it is and zooming along these roads, it, it, the, the experience can be quite magical. That you you realise how, you know big and noisy cars are and you know when these zoom past you on your bike so actually being and that's that's a big feedback from us is that you know they didn't they, they felt like they were in the mid you know in the middle of nowhere you know really out there in, in the countryside and it was just super quiet and the only sound was the bikes just wasn't a lot of the tires of the wheel you know of the tires of the bikes just wasn't along so that's that was kind of that's that's always been up there the kind of closed road part and i think our event and where it ranks in the and the kind of the, the UK scene is that we that we, we we have the climbing here, you know, that you have the mountains, you have the tough roads, and you have the horrible, horrible winds next to the lock side, which you're up once you're you're kind of down next to them as well. So everyone looks at the profile, but actually it's sometimes the wind just coming off the locks that can actually get you on the, the far part of the course. So that's that kind of adds to the challenge. And you know, we can mention weather maybe that we maybe don't get always blue sky, sunshine weather. So again, it adds no. a bit of a challenge. <laughs> well, you obviously you've mentioned the weather there. How does the route change? You know, it, in the difference between you know last couple of weeks, we have had patchy bits of you know we've had glorious sunshine and then torrential, horrible, wet, windy weather. How will that affect the riders potentially if it is wet or if it is dry? Yeah. Um, so uh, we're looking at uh, we're looking at a little bit of rain in the morning as it starts. I think there's a thirty percent chance of rain in the in the morning, and then it dries out, and then a little bit towards the end of the day as well. So probably looking at a bit of a kind of damp start to the morning. But you know, the, the colder it is, then the cooler you are. So the faster you can go. That's what I tell people. So uh, uh, keeps you cool the rain. <laughs> yeah, Fraser, you up for a wet wet weather bike ride? 
Um, no, I'll pass on that one. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's also a question what I've wanted to ask a professional cyclist like Gary, which is a little bit out there, but I'll ask it anyway. And whenever I've had bikes, and I've had a few in the past, I haven't been cycling for, I think, about a year now. I had one uh, last year, and I've always had to wear, you know, very padded shorts and a very soft seat because it just, just killed me. But it must be, or is it just a myth? It must be very uncomfortable for men and, you know, their male bits cycling at such an extreme speed and endurance i mean because you're, you're talking some of these guys you're talking athlete standard Gary. yeah uh, absolutely and i think it um it's it's just about having the bike the bike that fits you and fits you properly um you know that's that's a big part of it that almost if it fits you properly you're not really sitting in the saddle the saddle's supporting you but your legs are taking a bit of the weight as well so you're not you, it's not like you've sat you know flat down on a chair Right. Um, so and you know your kind of your, your bike position well, there's a whole business now of, of of bike fitting where you know you can go to one of the specialist bike shops and they will take video of you riding and adjust your your position to actually fit your body rather than you trying to fit the bike so there's a lot a lot of science that you can go into and it's amazing that that science has now trickled down from professional cycling to you know your your local bike shop where you you can get a bike fit that actually helps you you know kind of have something that, that you can ride all day i mean i've you know I've, I've ridden all my days and you know i've toured around the world and you know can ride every day and it's just because you've had something that fits and is really comfortable um it's a bit like you know having one size big two trainers if you're running you know just that little difference can make all the difference because i'm assuming i mean at this sort of level particularly the guys that are you know finishing in the top Let's say the top fifty yeah, uh, uh, final runs. I mean, they're, they're they're pretty much almost at a professional level, are they not? Um, yeah. Well, I think you know your kind of Tour de France and all that sort of stuff is a, is a level is a level again. But I think if you ask if you ask if you ask the guys and girls that are racing right at the front and trying as hard as they can, then they'd, they'd surely love to give it a go. You know, in terms of competing against the very best. But but they are at a really really high level. You know, these are really really fit people that are. Um, committing their lives to, to to cycling and it's a big part of, of of what they do so yeah they are they are super fit super fit well you obviously said there about the, the committing their lives and you've got what it's about six six and a half thousand odd riders booked in so how far are some of these riders going to come to take part in this you know if they convert their life to this how far are they coming um well, from from all over the uk so we're from from cornwall upwards um people will be will be kind of coming to to do the event and Usually, the further away, then the more time you know they kind of spend up and, and make more of a week or a weekend of it, or as part of a holiday or whatever. So, but you know what? Um, there's a, a lot of people that are kind of going for those fast times right at the front, but you just you've got to respect those people that are probably going to do the event this weekend and are just super nervous and like this is the first time they've done it, and maybe they're local or maybe they're from further away, but they're they're taking on a challenge and. Sometimes it's those things of just strap, you know, putting the number on and, and you know getting outside your comfort zone. Doesn't matter what time you finish it in, but just the fact of taking that jump or that leap and and, and giving it a go. And you know, maybe they're doing it for one of the charities or they're doing it for one of the, something, something else that's really important to them, you know, something that's happened to them recently and they're they're raising money for. And that's that's a super just as important as the people right at the front, you know, that 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 means just as much to them you know the time that they do it in and or just even completing it and that, that's 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 a big part of it as well most of our people are, are from that mindset rather than the, the super fast mindset 
Um, so yeah, we're good. To, if anyone's listening, good luck to you this weekend. You know, we'll be we'll be cheering you on from the the organisation side and raising money or finishing or whatever you're doing. And you know, it's an amazing challenge they're taking on. Absolutely, yeah. well done. And it looks like there's going to be a lot of people coming down, and it should be very good for them. Just quickly, um, Gary, how have you been engaging with the local communities? Obviously, about you said about you've spoken with the farmers about the road closures, but just you know the general people who travel about on a Sunday to get around and are going to have diversions because of the road closures. How closures? How have you been engaging with them to make sure that they're aware of everything that's happening around the event? Yeah, well, we work closely with the local councillors and the, 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 the and the, the kind of council groups, and and then a few different other business groups or you know farming groups or whatever was out there. And we kind of go through that, and we held quite a few. Um, unfortunately, they were just online, but you know, drop-in sessions where people could come in and, and ask their questions. But um, it, it's 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 really through those communicate those kind of formal communication forums where people can get in touch. Um, or you know we, we have the, the point on the website as well that people can get, can get in touch if they've got any questions so if you're going to again if you're listening to this and you have any questions then if you go to um, our website for tapcaledonia.com then you can you can leave a kind of message there if you've got real kind of specific questions or or, or, or anything you want to put in and we'll, we'll, we'll aim to answer in as much detail as we can because you know it's a year on year. It's not a flash in the pan what we do. You know, we've been here for a long time. We plan to be here for a long time. So it's want to answer those questions and help people get about as much as they can. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, the, these long distance events, I always find the bit that always intrigues me, Graham, is where they have feed stations, you know, and you stop, where are you going to stop halfway on a bike ride or a triathlon and stop and eat? I mean, that's, what, what would you eat? <laughs> well, you say that, but it's amazing. I remember, I mean, it's a long time ago doing a marathon in Dundee and it was the most horrendous weather and the, the wind was coming off the sea. It was throwing it down and people were quite literally dropping with hypothermia. I mean, it was just awful. They were, they were giving out black bin bags, uh, which actually worked, worked a treat. That's <laughs> just wonderful. But even in, that, in those conditions, I remember being so thirsty all the time and every time you know, you, you saw people standing there, you know, in, in, in the water stations holding out water. You were pouring water down the back of your head uh, and or on your face, even though it was probably minus two or something, and drinking copious amounts of water because you just dehydrate. It's just, it's, it's incredible. And I could have, I mean, I remember after my marathon in Dundee, uh, I had two main meals, two main meals. And I saw, and then I paused for about 20 minutes and then I had, <laughs> then I, I had two desserts. I can see Gary laughing. I'm sure he knows exactly where I'm coming. Well, from. no, I just um, I've never I, I, been so hungry in my life. It was incredible. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know if this is if, if this is the forum, or whatever. But it sounds more like sports chat. So maybe we can do it. But I did the uh, the Berlin Marathon a few years ago, and um, we came came round, had my drink, you know, done the feed station, all that stuff. But the, I remember, I vividly remember the first thing I had when I crossed the line. Maybe ten minutes later, was a you know a huge German Stein, the big liter beer. Oh, yes. And uh, this is what they were giving you as your rehydration strategy. I remember going, this tastes amazing. This tastes like the best <laughs> thing ever. And it was here. It's a nice German Pilsner. But um, about half an hour later, I don't know if I couldn't walk because of the marathon or because of the beer I just drank after the marathon. So, yeah, it's but to answer, you know, to kind of answer that one, it's just about it, it's those kind of blood sugar levels and keeping that energy topped up, really. So. You know, it's that's that's kind of the way to think about it. That you just, you know, you can, you can quite quickly bonk, and the weather can have a big part to play in that. So, it's it's flapjacks and bananas and energy bars and, and and water is kind of nothing super fancy. There's no sit down formal meals. You know, it's all just <laughs> it's just a quick quick snack and go. 
And nah, so, Mateo, I watched the Tour of Britain last week and see yeah. them being handed out the, the snack bags and then yeah. once they'd dis- finished with them they just discarded them off to the side of the roads and all the wee kids that were standing there were running into the bushes fighting with each other to, <laughs> to get the bags Yeah, yeah, no, Joe, well, it's, well, it's interesting, so the International Federation they actually made a rule to, to, to ban the riders throwing their, their, their water bottles and uh, you know, to, you know, from a kind of um, environmental point of view, it, it totally made sense. But what actually happens is, is that the subculture of the sport is that all these little kids that watch at the side of the road grab these bottles, you know, and very few of them ever actually go, you know, to waste because people always kind of scurry over and will grab one and then it sits on a shelf somewhere. And so the, the rules would actually change for that because it, that cycling has that interaction with the fans at the side of the road and. You're allowed to do it now, but you have to, you know, it has to be a, a direct throw to, to somebody on the side of the road. And there was, you know, the, the Tour of Britain is a classic example of that, where this week they had, there was a little boy riding up next to the pros and the pros handed him his bottle. And it was a real simple thing, but that little boy will probably hold on to the bottle and it'll be something that goes in his shelf. And, you know, that's the beauty of the sport in a way that it can have such a connection with, you know, with, with the side of the road and the fans watching, you know, it's not divided by fences and all this sort of thing. It's, they do pass by your front garden and yeah, part of part of what I love about it as a sport. Yeah, he'd hold on to that bottle plus his jersey and the, any footage you can get his hand on when he was on STV news and all sorts exactly. of other news became, became, Yeah, kind of minor celebrity, didn't he, for a few days? That's funny. Uh, that's fantastic. Well, we are keeping an eye on what we'll keep an eye on what happens with ETAP as it takes place over Sunday. And good luck to everybody who's taking part. And hopefully it stays nice and dry, but not too hot. Otherwise, there'll be other issues that come with that one. <laughs> but as we move into next week, we will see the Scottish League Cup quarterfinals take place um, as holders St. Johnston will travel to Dundee. Rangers will host last year's beaten finalist Livingston. Celtic will host the lowest side left in the competition, Wraith Rovers. And Dundee United will host Hibernian. Fraser, what do you think we should watch for in these quarterfinals? Um, certainly four interesting games on paper. Certainly the Dundee St. Johnston game is going to be quite tasty. No love lost between the two side sides there. St. Johnston's had a very sticky start to the season maybe suffered a bit from their European exertions Dundee slowly starting to find a wee bit of form coming into the, the Premier League this season so I think that's going to be a very interesting and keenly fought game as for the other ties you've got to imagine that the, the old firm should uh, progress without any major difficulties and Dungeon United Hibs again that's got a potential to be a, a close one but I'm going to go for Hibs to come out on top there yeah, Dundee FC, Graham, your man Lee Griffith, it will be hopefully looking to cause a bit of an upset against the holders. Do you think that that's one of those games he's going to relish coming into that? Yeah, he'll probably relish the game. I, I don't think he'll be strong enough on his own to to wave that tide. I, I agree with uh, Fraser. I think that the, the old firm teams are probably quite safe. Uh, the tasty one is probably St. Johnson Dundee because I think they will be looking over their shoulder at St. Johnson. Obviously, they've got some form here, to say the least. So they'll beat Dundee. That puts them in a strong position. I agree. Hibs are in form at the moment. They'll probably beat Dundee United. But, you know, despite the, the presence at the moment of the, the old firm, I would still fancy St. Johnson to do something here again. They've, they've proven before that, 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 that they can do it. You're a big football watcher, Gary? Uh, yeah, but, uh, but maybe not so much nowadays. Um, yeah, I'm, I must... I, uh, I actually 
you know, I live out in France now, so it's actually quite hard to see Scottish football. <laughs> you know, it, it's not just on the telly quite as much. So it's interesting once you're kind of outside of the kind of local area, it's pretty hard to get the results. You just got to look on your BBC website and kind of check out that way. But yeah, been a long, a long time since I've I've played football. Obviously, we all know Celtic are of a big team, but they're going to come up against Wraith Rovers, who beat Aberdeen in the last um, round of 2-1 win against Aberdeen, coming from behind. And Gary, we see it. They say it every time the FA Cup is on. The magic of the Cup. Those Wraith Rovers boys must be completely up for this one. <laughs> They'll be dancing in the streets of Kirkcaldy tonight. <laughs> Absolutely. And th- there's going to be some very, very interesting ties there. But, um, Fraser, if you had to put some quarterfinal predictions down, let's see, Dundee, St. Johnston, what do you reckon score? I think I'm going to go for Dundee to win on penalties. Ooh. Uh, Graham? 3-1 St. Johnston. 3-1 St. Johnston. Very interesting. Uh, what about Rangers Livingston, Graham? 3-0. Uh, 3-0 to, to Rangers. Rangers. Yes. Uh, Fraser? Uh, 2-0 to Rangers. 2-0. Uh, Celtic Wraith, Fraser? Um, 5-0 to Celtic. Ooh. Big scoreline there. Graham, what do you reckon? 4-0 Celtic. 4-0 Celtic. And then Dundee Hibs. Uh, Graham? Oh, 2-0 Hibs. 2-0 Hibs. And uh, Fraser? 2-1 uh, two, two, to Hibs. I think, and I'll have to double check when I listen back, did you guys just predict um, wins by clean sheets for all of those? No. Apart no, from no. you on the last one, was that... That no, sounded I, like I, a lot. That was a lot I of clean sheets there, penalties. I think. And the penalties. I said 3-1 St. Johnson, Dundee. Yeah. St. Johnson's going to score three goals from Graham. Come on. Well, they're playing Dundee. Come on. I know. And we'll and it's see. The cup. It's the cup. They'll be, it's it's the cup. They'll be up it's for a it. Diff- it's, different, it's a different game. It's, it's like ETAP. If you're being watched by you know thousands of people, suddenly your form will be through the roof. You'll be wearing up Ben Chile and like you wouldn't believe. Whereas on the training day, you'd be probably walking. Yeah, come on, Graham. It's like, it, um, come on, it's like Graham when he goes and plays golf and suddenly there's people behind him and he plays like Tiger Woods. Absolutely. And we'll keep an eye on those ties um, as they take place over the 22nd and 23rd of September. But we've got to come on to the US Open. We have to talk about the US Open. Um, and I think the first place to start, Graham, Emma Rajikana. I mean, I, I'll start off with the fact that I said that that was going to be the final her against Leila Fernandez. But to win the tournament without dropping a single set, I mean, that is an incredible achievement. It was, and you have to be particularly delighted for her in view of what happened at Wimbledon. And I was quite critical of her team. I'd be interested in actually, in, in Gary's view on this, uh, on her team behind her that I felt she was being pushed too far. It was a game too far for her. She was obviously distressed. She was having uh, difficulty with the breathing, I suspect, with nerves as well. Yet it just seemed to be a completely different player who was so unfazzled with the pressure uh, pressure in the US Open. Now, you could argue in the early rounds, she had nothing to lose and getting to the quarterfinals was was the result of the century, quite honestly. I mean, that, that was enough to then get to the semifinals and play so well again, and then to get to the finals. And, you know, I, I sort of thought when she hurt her leg and the blood was coming out, you know, this is going to be a major problem for her. It's going to really throw her. It didn't. It didn't throw her at all. So I don't know how you can scale it in terms of, of, of achievements, but, I mean, her age... Lack of experience, her ranking, her composure, the way she was hitting the ball so hard and so accurately. And I, I don't know if you noticed, but because it happened so quickly, but most of the shots, she's actually jumping up to hit the shot. 
Now you can do that when you're young, but that means that the accuracy and the confidence that she had, I mean, it was breathtaking, absolutely breathtaking. And that's an easy word to say in sport, but I think it's completely justified. Well, you, you say in terms of achievement, obviously first woman in 44 years to win a Grand Slam. But I think if you go and look at, like even the, the the Instagram follows between beginning of Wimbledon to now, it's it's gone up by like half a million sort sort of thing, and you you go in what three hundred and fiftieth in the world when you go when you started when she started at Wimbledon, went hundred and fiftieth coming into um, the U.S. Open and is now in the top twenty five in the world and the British number one in the space of a couple of months. I mean, it's an incredible achievement, Fraser, and actually we have to talk about while we say this is an incredible achievement and it's an amazing achievement it, you can't ignore the fact that you know yes us open has been won by an 18 year old but the other side of the tie Layla fernandez is only 19 and when she got through which her semi-final was just before emma's she was the youngest person to qualify for a final yeah it's absolutely a remarkable story for them both to get to the final both where they've came from you know it's two great stories yeah Either of them won, they would have said delighted for both. But for Emma to win, to go through the whole tournament from qualifying to the final without dropping a set is quite remarkable. I would have loved to have known what sort of odds you would have got for a one pound bet on that, the, the star. Because I think if that happened, you would never have seen me again, to be honest. No, I think, yeah. Well, remember when Jim said that about the, the Shaw Mooney ones? I mean, there are some of these things that happen, and you go, you can't quite believe that they're there. But I think. You know, the way that the British public rallied, the way that actually the, the public rallied behind her at Wimbledon and in the US Open has been incredible. And Gary, I mean, I don't even know what more we can say about this. No, I think it was, I, I stayed up late to watch it. And yeah, it was it was awesome. Eh? But, you know, as um, back in, you know, back before I was I was running events, I worked at, to, at British Cycling, you know, and part of that kind of Olympic machine. And one of the phrases we had is that if you're if you're good enough, uh, sorry, if you're older, if you're good enough, you're old enough. So I don't think the age thing is part of it. And, you know, the other thing we kind of really tried to play off was that express yourself. The result doesn't matter. If all you do is express yourself as an athlete and enjoy it and be loose and free with how you kind of do your movements and all those sorts of things. And as Richard, sorry, as Graham said, you can, um, you know, she was jumping and then hitting it from the air, like the amount of calculations that went on there. You only do that if you're, positive about your sport and your what you're doing so for me it was a real kind of you were watching somebody expressing themselves you know it wasn't actually about the competition she was just going out and smashing every single ball and that's is that's uh, sport isn't it that's what we all get hooked on is those moments and you know the beauty about tennis is you can come from the qualifiers and win it you know it's 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 a real open door policy of if you can qualify you've got a chance a bit like they, you're talking about the cup as well. And, I, you know, personally, I love that kind of sport, you know, where the minnows can come through, but it's not a closed door. It's open to everyone and the best, the best succeeds. So yeah, well done. I can't wait to see the next one. Can't wait to see uh, one. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and obviously sure you is. mentioned, you mentioned the qualifiers there. I mean, that's three games more than everybody else. And because of the, the, the phenomenal rising, I think she's now sitting something like 14th in the points for the WTA, which may earn her a draw into the top competition at the end of the year um, as a wild card. So that will be really, really good for her as well. But we've got to come on to the uh, men's draw now. And oh, Novak Djokovic, Fraser, so close, but nowhere near. No, yeah, to be honest, in a tournament, he, he struggled. You know, every game he seemed to, to drop the first set, but had enough to, to get through. 
And yeah, again, you thought the same about the final. Medvedev would cause him problems, but I think you thought he would be too strong. But for some reason, it just never happened for him. And uh, to be honest, it's a shame for him. You know, he's, he does deserve it having won the previous three Grand Slams. But then at the same time, it's great for the game to see a new name taking a, a title. And hopefully, it's maybe a sign that the game's going to start to change. And we're going to see some new names winning Grand Slams. You know, it's got a bit tedious the last number of years been the three the same names that always at the forefront of men, men's tennis so I think good on Daniel Medvedev and hopefully we'll see him win a few more yeah well great Graham with um, the Emma one um, Fraser mentioned you know what would the odds have been on her getting there without dropping so what do you reckon the odds were on Novak Djokovic losing in three sets six four six four six four well, it wasn't quite the, the walkover that you could argue that Emma had, particularly in the semi-final and obviously in the final. Uh, I think everyone was surprised he didn't play well, as, as Fraser alluded to, and he was the favourite to win for a good reason. But as we said before, it, it, it does seem now we've had a big change of card in the women's game, and now it's filtering through uh, to the men's game. I don't think he's by any means finished. I think he could, he could well win uh, maybe two Opens again next year. I think that'll be his limit then, because time will have caught up with him. Um, and the, 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 new, the new guard are coming through and they're getting more experienced and, bat, and battle ready, uh, you know, as, as time progresses. So that's unfortunately against him. But yes, it, it was a surprise. He, he didn't play well. And at that level of game, you know, it, it's, a, it's a very fine margin. And even for the best players, your confidence goes once you, you know, you realise that your opponent is hitting the ball so hard and so accurately against you that, you know, you're very much up against it. And at the end of the day, he's only human. Yeah, and one from one tennis star who missed out on his calendar slam to two who managed to achieve it. Gordon Reed and Alfie Hewitt won their US Open, which means they completed the calendar slam after missing out on the chance of the Golden Slam if they got silver in Rio. But for wheelchair tennis, Gary, that's, you know, for a Scottish point of view, we have a calendar slam winner. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I've, I've tried wheelchair tennis once, actually. It was uh, I, I, I was uh, worked on the, the Invictus Games a few years ago in Orlando, and it, it was impossible. I was just like, it's, I find it hard enough trying to do it. You know, standing up and you know trying to hit the rack, hit the ball, but putting in the, putting the chair, and then just that extra dynamic of you know having to spin yourself around and all that sort of stuff. It just puts those boys and girls on another level again. Yeah. Maximum appreciation for that one. Yeah, and he he said he wants to come out um, and try and get his number one back for Gordon Reed. Graham, that's got to be a good good motivation for him because there's a couple of slams he hasn't won in his career. But it'd be nice for him to complete the single set. Yes, absolutely. And and who's to say that that's not that's not achievable? And good to see that you know wheelchair tennis is getting so much exposure. And of course, this is what happens when you get people in the country that win because people get enthused by it and other people start to, you know, to, to take the sport up. It just becomes quite um, addictive then. Everyone loves a winner. And, uh, you know, in, 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 in Reed and Hewitt, you know, we obviously have that now. And uh, I think they'll, they'll probably go on to even bigger success and, and uh, all the best of them. Absolutely. And Fraser, just quickly, we'll come to Joe Salisbury because he won the men's and the mixed doubles um, in the US Open, uh, beating Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez in the men's. But that's another brilliant achievement for British tennis. Yeah, very much so. It seems to be uh, going on up again. British tennis has had a few years where it's been in the wilderness since um, Andy Murray's fallen from the, the forefront. But I think better times are ahead for the, the British tennis. I think we've got some 
good players emerging again and saying there's going to be some good years ahead. Absolutely. Well, that is all we have time for this week. So I want to thank my guests, Graham. Thank you, as always, for coming along. A pleasure. Uh, thank you, Fraser. Thank you very much. And of course, thank you, Gary. Brilliant. Brilliant. Good to speak to you all. Great, Gary. And all the best for, 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 the, for uh, Sunday. Thanks very much. Yeah, looking forward to it. Sports Point, a Heartland Multimedia Production. Find out more at www.heartland.scom.